0: radio influence podcasting redefined as america's zone coach premier thought leader and the world's number one coach of champions jim fannin is the go-to person he has guided the careers of the best pro athletes from 10 sports and business executives from 50 industries he has coached individuals families relationships, and students in simplifying and balancing their lives for more than 40 years. From winning Wimbledon, the World Series, and a gold medal, to losing 68 pounds, saving lost marriages, or overcoming financial ruin, Hello, everybody. I'm Jim
1: Fannin. Welcome to The Jim Fannin Show.
2: My name is Seth, Jim's sidekick and producer here on America's Most Positive Podcast. Uh, fantastic episode, fantastic guest today, which we're going to get to in a moment. But Jim, start now. What's on your mind? What's going on?
1: I have a lot on my mind today. I really do. I, I This brings back old memories. Uh, uh, this time of the year, uh, at this time of the year, I was... At the French Open, just finishing the French Open, uh, getting players ready for another major championship, Wimbledon. What's on my mind is really the process, the thought process, on how to prepare for a major event. There's a lot of um, major events that have concluded. There's a lot coming up uh, this summer. Uh, We just saw the Stanley Cup finish. We saw the NBA playoffs culminate with Golden State sweeping the Cavaliers. We, we saw uh, the French Open conclude, which is amazing. I want to talk about that later on who's in the zone. Uh, but we also had uh, the Triple Crown winner, Justify, definitely in the zone. But how do you prepare for the third leg of a Triple Crown? How do you get uh, the trainer ready? How do you get the jockey ready? And obviously, how do you get the star of the show justify, ready to be at their best when the money is literally on the table, (laughs) culminating in uh, to the, you know, if he wins, uh, which he did, the 13th uh, uh, triple crown uh, winning horse. How do you do that? How do you prepare for a big event? And let's put this in perspective. A big event could be a surgery coming up. It could be a major sales presentation, It could be a marriage proposal. Uh, It could be your wedding day. I just had a friend uh, get married over the past weekend. Congratulations. Uh, Goes out uh, to uh, uh, Mr. Sylvan down in South Carolina. Jay Sylvan. congratulations Uh, on getting married. But how do you prepare for a big event when you want to be at your best, you want to be disciplined, you want to be focused, you want to be Confident, that's definite. and But you want to be relaxed, uh, free from fear and anxiety, and you want to be able to enjoy that moment. Uh, we've got the U.S. Open golf starting today. The tournament is starting today. And I've got a horse in the field of the U.S. Open. we got Dylan Meyer, uh, just graduated from the University of Illinois. He's tanned up today. His first pro tournament. And it's the U.S. Open
2: pro tournament to start off on
1: Yeah, let's go off uh, on the right foot uh, with the bank Can you imagine winning that one right out of the gate? But how do you get ready when you would like to be hitting on all cylinders Regardless of whatever that big event is um, How do you do that? And, And let me give you a couple of tips and tools to get ready We all have major milestones coming up or that we've had in our life And we know that we want results, but we also know we want to give it our best, be at our best. How do you do that? And the B to A principle really uh, comes into full play here. B to A. What does that mean? Let's talk about the U.S. Open. The U.S. Open starts today, culminates on Sunday. Uh, It is a tough tournament to win. It is eluded A lot of big names, Phil Mickelson being one of them. And um, how do you win the U.S. Open? Well, first of all, you have to be good enough to even be in the tournament. So with that said, you're in the tournament. How do you peak? On Sunday, you need to see yourself playing the last six holes solid. Not necessarily great, but typically at a big event, most are going to lose, and one person is usually left standing. And now, I'm not talking about a wedding here. <laughs> so that, that, that's when two are left standing. But you know, it's a big event. You don't want any snafus. You don't want any gaffes. You, you don't want to, you know, stumble over your vows uh, in front of friend, friends, family, God. <laughs> you know, you want it to be absolutely perfect. So seeing it completed. As if it's so in your mind, that is B. Then you work chronologically backwards. Let's go back away from the marriage. Let's go back to golf. You want to see yourself finishing the last six holes solid, not giving anything back. And then you want to see yourself in contention before the last round on Sunday. You know, within striking distance, within four or five shots, Uh, off of the lead Uh, and then you have Saturday Uh, before Saturday's round you need to be probably in the top 20 if you have a shot at being in the in the U.S. Open uh, final uh, pairing Uh, so Friday night you should be in the top 20 obviously you need to make the cut but if you're thinking about making the cut uh, this is probably not a tournament you've got a shot to win Now, you've had at least six rounds of golf at Shinnecock, Southampton, New York. Physically, you've had those rounds uh, this week. You'll have two practice rounds minimum. Uh, You may have come in early like Tiger did. I believe he came in over Memorial weekend, snuck in a little 18-hole practice round. So you've seen this course not just back in 2004, the last U.S. Open that was held there, but you've seen this course physically. Hopefully, you've played it mentally. So before you tee it up on Thursday, you know that you want to finish with high energy. That means you need to be very efficient, very efficient mentally and physically. What does that mean? Uh, That means I would just be solid. That means put the ball in the fairway. That means seeing exactly where I want to be. That means listening to my intuition, which is going to tell me uh, on a whole like number seven at Shinnecock, uh, I may not be able to see up over the hill what the wind is up there. So I may have a gut feel on what I need to do. So I need to prepare prepared to have a clear mind so my intuition can take over. Um but I need to be clear of everything else in my life. That means I'm not putting the rest of my life arenas 100% on hold. Well, but for this week, they need to be on hold. What does that mean? Uh, that means spats with your significant others, probably not something that's conducive to being at your best at the U.S. Open. Uh
2: Having your taxes come up and your accountant being like, could you check on it? Probably not this week. Yeah, right? it's probably
1: not going to happen this week. So you want to have a clear mind before you come up to any big event in your life. You do want to B to A. You do want to walk this chronologically in reverse all the way back to where you are right now. But you also need to have complete balance. What do you need? You need self-discipline. I need a blueprint on how I'm going to play this golf course. I need a blueprint on how this wedding is going to take place. And and maybe I didn't do a lot in the preparation. Maybe I did everything in the preparation. But I need to see it unfold the way I would like it. My significant other, how we would like for it to unfold. Major,
3: you might so I need to, to have some mental well, dress rehearsal.
1: Um, I need to focus. I need to put blinders on and be in the moment. No past, No future. Uh, And that's for any major presentation. I need to be prepared to to do that. Sales presentation. i got to be in the moment reading the audience. I know if I'm given a major keynote, I have one thought. When I go into any keynote speech, I've given about 2,500 keynotes around the world. What do I want the audience members to think as they drive away alone in their car? And what do I want? I want them to think tonight, hours and hours long after my keynote, whatever I want them to think really becomes the agenda or the blueprint, if you will, of the speech I'm going to deliver. I need to know how I'm going to close, and obviously I need to know how am I, am I going to open, um, but I need to be in the moment once all this preparation is done. What else? I need to have optimism, I need to have belief, I need to have expectancy, Uh, and I need to be prepared for changing conditions, circumstances, surprises. Uh, Would anyone uh, like to go against this wedding? Uh, It shouldn't be, yes, and there's (laughs) Uncle Bob in the back. I'm like, what? Uh, Hopefully that never happens, and it didn't happen to my friend. He had a great wedding, but... The thing is, I need to be prepared for uh, things that uh, I I can't even foresee, a surprise. And I I need to not allow any negative external or even internal stimuli to impact and lower my optimism, my confidence. So I need to go in there very confident and be prepared that nothing's going to diminish that confidence. Fourth, I'm going to have some... uh it's not nerves, but I, I'm going to have some uh, energy fluctuations in my body. I'm going to have the butterflies, which are positive. That's the blood vessels constricting, the, the capillaries constricting in my stomach. This is before any major presentation, any major event like the U.S. Open. Dylan Meyer is going to be very nervous on that first T ball today. Uh, but he's, he knows he's not nervous. He knows that it's his body preparing to go into a zone state, a peak performance state. And when the blood vessel's capillaries constrict, that is the feeling of the butterflies. But come on, Seth, we know butterflies are beautiful. They're good. So the butterflies in this situation, you know, they're a positive thing. The blood's diverted to the large muscles, so I have inordinate quickness, speed, strength, and agility, balance. And then the rest of the blood goes to the brain so that I have some clarity and and I really can keep my sense of purpose and my awareness intact. Um, That's really what's going to happen. So I need to be free from fear, free from anxiety, definitely worry, and um, I need to be as calm as possible in, in a situation where I know my best is probably needed. And then last, you hear this all the time, you got to enjoy the moment. Really? Enjoy the moment? You know, my my heart's beating out of my chest. Uh, you know, I got family and friends, uh, coaches, everybody, you know, saying things to me, trying to give me that last-minute pep talk or that last minute of instruction. And, and this is where I warn uh, everyone that's helping someone get to the big stage and perform in these big moments. The day before an event, I, I like my athletes doing virtually less more than ever before. The, for the French Open, uh, one of the athletes I coach won the French Open, nineteen seventy six, Adriana Panada. Nineteen seventy nine, I'm coaching a Paraguayan, six foot four, Victor Pecci. We did lose in the finals in nineteen seventy nine, the French Open. Uh, We lost to uh, uh, Bjorn Borg in four sets. And um, I know the day before, it's about an hour workout. Uh, That's about it. And the day before, you want to be thinking about what you do well. You want to enter every event uh, dealing from your strengths, uh, dealing from uh, the strong points of your game or the strong parts of your mind, whatever that may be. Uh, I'm definitely not going to work on uh, weaknesses, as a lot of people want to call them. I look at that really as areas of growth. But the day before, uh, if you're not ready the day before, uh, well, good luck. You're not going to be ready uh, whatever you do the day before. Now, prior to that, that's something you'll work with your coach uh, uh, on what you need to work on on an individual basis. You'll work with your team in a major business presentation, what role is everyone going to have, what are the key points, all of those things need to be prepared and well-dressed, rehearsed. But I think the real key is once that moment happens and the event is here and someone says, and my next speaker is, and, you know, my name's called out and I've got an introduction, I've got 30 seconds and I, I, even though I've done this so many times, I can feel my heart rate increase. I can feel my uh, body uh, starting to adjust to this uh, tense moment of when I got to deliver the goods. I got a thousand people in the audience, and uh, I don't have time to stutter or uh, uh, have a snafu or be blank, and not figure out what am I going to say. I need to hit the ground running. You want to open strong. In any major event and Seth that you want to close strong
2: and if I can just make an observation on what you said there you know when, when, especially when we're talking about when the money's literally on the table if you're talking about a work situation, if it's your biggest pitch of the year, if it's your biggest client and you got a lunch, that probably means you're not taking the you know the 9 a.m flight that if it gets delayed by 15 minutes on the tarmac you're in trouble uh, you know that, that day before thing, I think that if more of us applied that uh, we would get more wins. Because how many times have we been frazzled at the moment we got to perform just because there hasn't been any open space right up to that moment?
1: Well, I, I I can't even remember a time when I had a presentation, whether it was in the evening or the afternoon or definitely in the morning, uh, that I came in and I arrived that day. So most people, it, even at the U.S. Open, even at the French, they're There, in plenty of time, so that you can get acclimated uh, to your surroundings. Um, And and definitely, if it's a long flight to get there, you may have to overcome um, time change, which can be definitely debilitating when you're in in terms of peak performance. Um, Yeah, you want to be able to relax and get comfortable and have that mindset there's no place I'd rather be than where I am right now. Uh, You definitely don't want to be in a panic, in a hurry, and be stressed out from travel. And there's stress even if the travel was easy. There's just stress being in an airplane at 30,000 feet and uh, the altitude, and uh, it, it can be a drain that you don't even realize. Preparation is the key. Champions win first, then they walk into the arena. Everybody else walks into the arena and then tries to figure out what to do. So winning first takes a lot of preparation. The B-to-A, chronological B-to-A plan really is what it's all about. And then once this pathway is created and you've mentally already walked it, um, now you just walk it as if it's so, as if you've already won. Right now at the U.S. Open, and if you're listening today on the first round of this tournament, uh, the winner is, is probably boiled down to three to four, maybe five people. And I know some luck and some crazy circumstances can really shake up a a field in a golf tournament, especially a major. Uh, But there's only a handful that have prepared to win it. A lot of people are glad they're just in it. Now, that's a different mindset. A lot of people would be satisfied with top ten or some have a goal of making the cut. I, I know that when I was coaching full-time on the pro tennis tour, uh, I felt like uh, there was the prize money. I knew what the prize money was. I knew what runner-up was going to make money-wise and semis, all the way down to if you lose in the first round, you're going to get you know some pocket change to pay for a few expenses. Um, I feel that it's almost like a trough of money. But before the event, the champion goes to the head of the trough. I, I'm 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 at the big table. I'm in it to win it. And anything less than that is not going to be sat, you know satisfactory to me. But everybody has different mindset going into this. Now I've seen a few people go in with no expectations. I'm I'm just glad I'm here. I got in at the last minute. I didn't even think I was going to play. Sometimes that participant has an advantage because he's got no expectation and he doesn't have any time to think. And I've seen uh, athletes win tennis tournaments, golf tournaments, not even thinking they're going to play. It does happen. But for the most part, you look at the people that are in contention uh, on the, the, you know, you can gamble now in sports. So uh, there's already a pool a gambling pool out there, fantasy golf and all that. Who's going to win this event? Top players have already prepared to win. They can see it as if it's so. So let me summarize. How do you prepare for a major event presentation uh, that's coming up in the next few days, the next week, the next month? B to A, work in reverse. So dress rehearse that uh, reverse-engineered timeline. The last thing I would do the day before the event uh, is deal from strength only. I'd go over my strengths. Always have a plan. Have strategy. Have tactics. Know how you'd like to open and know how you want to finish or close the, the event. And then clear your mind. The reboot, we've talked about it on our show. It's just, Shutting your eyes, unhinging your jaw, relax the tongue, let it float in your mind, and and just really turning your brain off. You're seeing nothing but a dark screen in your mind. Uh, That's keeping you out of the past. It's keeping you out of the future, and it's just calming you down, but it's definitely clearing the mind. And that same reboot tool, before you hit the first tee shot at the U.S. Open, uh, I would say this to Dylan Meyer, and have said this to Dylan Meyer many times, right before you walk up onto that stage, it's a reboot, but I call it clear the launch. Same tool, it's just used at a different time. Clear the mechanism, clear your mind. Surrender to the subconscious mind that you've been programming for some time. And once you do that, Uh, Now you can focus on the very first task at hand. And at Shinnecock at the U.S. Open, that first task at hand is a hula hoop-sized target on hole number one. Uh, You're sitting there with a driver in your hand. That's all that matters. And now it is one shot at a time, one play at a time. And uh, that's how you get ready for a major event. Lastly... If it's a four-day event, uh, I would have a very swift evaluation after day one, day two, and day three. You can have a larger one after the event is over on day four. But on day one, two, and three, uh, I would have that evaluation swiftly, and then I would go to sleep very positive, and I would only be thinking about my strengths as I drift off in the last 30 minutes before – the second round, the third round, and definitely the final round on Sunday, the fourth round.
2: And uh, you know, if you are doing this for work, right? And sometimes there are industries that three, four day trade show, that's where most of the money comes from. That means you're probably not packing your schedule with gills in the evening with social events and people you don't normally see you're getting plenty of rest, you're getting hydration, and then you're thinking about getting that business the next day.
1: Well, I've seen a, a, this happen to me on the pro tennis tour where all of a sudden here comes Wimbledon and everybody starts changing their diet and how they're practicing. And we never did that. We we wanted to treat it like any other event, knowing that it's not. Uh, but, you know, if you're eating uh, cheeseburgers, uh Uh, two days before the event, then, you know, I wouldn't start becoming a vegetarian during the tournament. Yeah. I mean, you got to do what uh, brought you to the dance. Um, I think you should be uh, eating healthy the whole time. The same thing with sleep. If you're used to getting seven and a half hours sleep, uh, then the night before the event, you want to get seven and a half hours of sleep. And the day after that first day, you know, that night, you want to be able to do the same. Try to be as normal as possible in an abnormal uh, situation.
2: And up next, let's go ahead and uh, get our guest on here. Uh, Fantastic conversation coming up about the U.S. Open and about how to perform during one of these really big events.
1: Well, I want to talk about my guest very quickly. I know uh, we're going to get him to call in right now. My guest is Brian Mogg, M-O-G-G. Brian Mogg is one of the top golf instructors in the world. I met Brian at the David Ledbetter Golf Academy uh, a couple of decades ago. Uh, Brian has his own academy. In fact, he has many academies around the world. I've conducted at least 50 golf-in-the-zone schools with Brian Mogg, Golf Magazine top 100 instructors, Uh, and for my money, and there's a lot of great instructors that I that are good friends of mine from David Ledbetter, uh, from Mike Adams, um, Jim Hardy. Uh, there's some great instructors around the world. Uh, Brian Mogg is one of those unique instructors that is a player's player. Really, he's he he can still play. Um, he's. Uh, At any time, he can shoot under par on any course in the world without a lot of practice, which is pretty amazing to me. But he gets it as a player. He's also helped someone prepare and win a major golf tournament on the PGA Tour. And that's why I really wanted to have Brian. We'll talk about Shinnecock. We'll talk about getting ready for a big big event and what he does to get his player ready with his golf swing Uh, to showcase it on the big stage. So I'm looking forward to having Brian on the air. Brian Mogg, welcome to the Jim Fannin Show. Hey, Brian. Hey, Jim. Brian, I'm excited that you're on the air. Uh, You and I have talked uh, uh, hours and hours and hours on being in the zone on the golf course, being in the zone in a big event. Uh, you are an expert at doing this. You've done this before with a PGA uh, champion. Uh, Tell me a little bit about that, uh, what went into winning that championship, and how you prepared uh, your client to be at his best.
3: This week's the U.S. Open, and uh, a lot of guys are teeing off today for their first event ever and. I've been able to, unfortunately, play in one U.S. Open at Shinnecock in 1995, and then uh, I don't know, probably been at 20 or 30 majors with students over the I, last I think you finished.
1: Wait a minute, you finished ahead of Tiger in '95. Is that true?
3: Well, I did beat him by one shot, but he was a college player, so I, we're not going to go there right now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Brian, take it, take it. Come on, I teed it up for you. You got to take that one, Tiger's uh, Tiger. All right.
3: I'm waiting to do it again. How's that?
1: Yes, I like that. Um,
3: well, in 2009, Y.E. Yang uh, had already won earlier in the year at the Honda Classic, and we met up at Hazeltine for the PGA at the end of the year, fourth major of the year. And he uh, would go on very historically to beat Tiger uh, by one. And the honest truth is, the preparation that we did on Wednesday. Parlayed that into something that happened Sunday that really was the pivotal reason for why he won. And, you know, the, the key thing that I've done this week uh, with one of my young players at Shinnecock is try to make sure that you're prepared for the golf course. I mean, Jim and I, we've talked so many times that, you know, less is more. You don't need to overthink the situation. You need to have good strategies and plans, do your visualization, and then let it happen. And what we did at Hazeltine that year was on. The practice round, on the day before on Wednesday, I'd noticed on the bulletin board that they were going to move the tee up on the 14th hole to make it drivable at least once on the weekend. So on the practice round late on Wednesday, Y.E. and K.J. Choi were playing together. I, I, I told the guys, hey, let's go tee off from the ladies' tee marker. They're going to move it up here, and they hadn't seen the sign yet. We lasered it. The hole was 335, and you know Y.E. was on his game. We knew it. He literally drove it over the green, kind of into a back slope area that would be very difficult to chip on and I think surprised himself that he could actually get it there and knock it over the green. Uh, It was playing a little firm, but still it was a tough contoured green with a lot of bunkering around it. So later on that week, he came Sunday. It was him and Tiger, two-man race. They're tied coming to the 14th hole. Sure enough, the tee was up. And it played about 330, and ye. when he swung, didn't try to kind of kill it to get it there like he did in the practice round. He smoothed it a little more. And the ball came up about five yards of the green on a little upslope. Well, by keeping it under the hole, he had a light easier shot, and he holed the chip shot. Gave him an eagle. Tiger ended up making birdie to get it up and down. But that produced a, a one-shot lead that he held all the way to eighteen 18th hole until he hit a hybrid close and, and finished off the win. But so much of that I'd like to think was some of the preparation we did earlier in the week that helped him know the golf course. And that's what really been doing with, with my student Michael this week, trying to help him learn things that I learned from 95 and trying to develop strategies that will yield, you know, for us open yield pars.
1: Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the, uh, the USGA. I mean, I mean, they, they always say year after year, it's golf's ultimate test. Uh, I thought 2004 was pretty unfair. I remember hole number seven, which was uh, almost unplayable, where a perfect shot would still roll off the green. In 2004, you were coaching uh, also one of my clients, Skip Kendall. Uh, Tell me about 2004 at Shinnecock.
3: Well, it was cool because I think we were both working with skip, and you would lead the morning wave the first round, and eventually go on to finish about 15 but you know the golf course is just such a cool golf course because the key to Shinnecock is really the strategic side of things it's not really a bombers course I don't think some of the newer I mean the young kids were just bombers I don't see them really having a great week I think it's the guys who are a little more strategic and trying to get balls on the sides of fairways and keep shots under the hole they're going to do well and that week Skip did a great job of managing this game managing himself you know making pars where needed and you know, last year at Aaron Hill, the winning score was something like 15, 16 under par, lowest in the history of the U.S. Open. So I would think the USGA would make a statement here and probably something like even par wins this week. They're going to, I would think, make it about as hard, as hard as can be and hopefully you don't cross the line like in 4 We were on the putting green on Saturday and the USGA guy came by with his stint meter and now your average golf course is somewhere in the 8 9 10 range the tour events probably in the 11 or 12 range
1: for my non golf fans explain the stemp meter and and just briefly go over that and, and what that means because uh it's usually off the charts with the USGA at the US Open just give me a elementary stemp stem, meter for well, a golf a course just a,
3: it's just a little I call it a machine, but it's just like a pipe that you roll a ball down, and how far it rolls out dictates how fast it is. So if it rolls out 11 feet, it's an 11. So, you know, by the time you get to a U.S. Open, you know you're going to play some of the fastest greens in the world, and, you know, maybe a 13 is about what they're going to be, but at the contours, it plays faster. The however is, Saturday afternoon, the putting green was a 30. I mean, it, it had crossed the line to where the greens were literally purple. And we, everybody knew going into Sunday that the potential for craziness was going to happen. And unfortunately, on the seventh hole, it did. I, of all the years I've played the PGA Tour and tournaments all over the world, I've never played a harder hole than number seven. And it's about 165, 170-yard par three. And in 1995, I was in fantastic shape late in the day, you know, middle of the way through the round on Friday. I, I couldn't make up my mind on what to do the it's called the rodan hole and it's got this severe slope from right to left and if you get it going to shape left it might roll 50 yards left down to the eighth tee but if you miss it a yard to the right you might then put it off the green you need, it's so hard to make a decision on cut it draw it hit it high maybe just try to get it in the bunker i mean they literally say it's, it's a par five and when i'd heard about it it was kind of like yeah no way well after you play the hole you go wow that That is, you know, like, it almost should be a par four, and yet it's really just a six, seven, eight iron shot. So in 04, that, that green with the speeds and the dryness that happened got out of control, and um, I don't remember how many guys four-putted, five-putted, but it kind of crossed the line, and hopefully that doesn't happen this year.
1: Yeah, that was comical watching it uh, on television. Uh, here are the best players in the world uh, struggling uh, to keep the ball on the green at all, uh, you know. This week on on this course, um, hole nine, ten, and eleven, uh, those are pro- if you come out of there with par, averaging par uh, all four days, uh, you probably are playing some pretty amazing golf, and you've got a great shot at uh, at winning this tournament. Um, what's your advice to the young player? Uh, you know, I've got a young player, uh, Dylan Meyer, playing his first pro tournament, much less the U.S. Open. What would advice would you give a Dylan Meyer who, you know, college golf, pretty successful, um, uh, definitely can hit it a long way, uh, full of all kinds of energy and hopes and, what kind of advice would would you have given Dylan uh, if you could have talked to him before he teated up today?
3: I mean, the awkward challenge of the U.S. Open is it goes against everything else you do the other 51 weeks of the year, which is basically at the pro level, try and make as many birdies as you can. USGA elements, U.S. Opens, you're trying to make as many pars as you can, and it's a different mindset than what you do. So in Dylan's case, you've got to stand on the first fairway, figure out where the flag is, and then ask yourself, how can I get the ball safely in a position to make par? And, you know, you've got to not just try and hit the fairway. You probably need to hit left center on the fairway. And your second shot, how can I leave it under the hole? And I, I know when I teed it up 20, whatever, 23 years ago, first hole, uh, I bogeyed number one. Number two is like a 240-ish uphill par three. I hit a great long iron, made par, hit the fairway on the third hole, and I'm looking at a kind of a middle right pin on the third hole and I recognized I had about 10 to 15 foot of a window, but if I didn't get my five iron in that window, I probably couldn't make par. I was a little too far left, like from eight o'clock to 12 o'clock. The mound and the hump was too severe. If I missed it on the right side the same way, if I was long, I'd have no chance. And the pressure I felt trying to fit a five iron, where normally you don't even think about stuff like that, was so strong that ultimately that's why a Corey Pavin a Ray Floyd, guys who have won there in the past, they're, they're really good strategic thinkers and maneuver their ball. So in Dylan's case, he's really got to get smart with how he lays out his plans and how he lays out what he's attempting to do each shot, not just be a typical young kid, step up, bomb it, you know, swing it and it doesn't work, go next week. That's just not what the USGA is about. It's not what the US Open rewards, and especially this year with the tournament at Shinnecock where it's, you know, one of the oldest courses in the country and it's just got a lot more of a links type feel, where the consequences of a bad shot might be worse than, you know, maybe a traditional golf course.
1: Yeah, I, there, there's another factor that really plays into this. No matter what you do on Thursday, you are going to have to spend Thursday afternoon or Thursday evening, and definitely Thursday night, uh, with your thoughts. Uh, It's pretty easy to beat yourself up if you got off to a poor start. uh, It's pretty easy to uh, uh, get too full of yourself. You know, if you throw down and you're leading the tournament after round one, uh, you had Skip do that. Skip, you know, my client as well, uh, did that. Um, What do you do after after today? And the athlete wants to go back and hit a few balls. How do you approach that? Uh, I I see a lot of guys hit too many balls after the round. I see some players decide to hit no balls after the round. Uh, That's usually not the case. Um, What's your approach on this?
3: Well, the thing you have to do after today's round is finished is really make a plan for round two, and that's, different from the guy who tees off at, I think, 6.45 was first off today, and then my guy, Michael's off last at, like, 2.47. So a little bit depends on what you shoot, how you played, and then what's your tee time tomorrow. Because just if you're a tour player, it's fun to be at a tour event. It's fun to hit brand-new range balls on the course and people asking for autographs. It's fun just to hang in that environment. But the reality is that's not necessarily the best way to prepare for tomorrow's round. So in the context of what can I do, you probably need to hit a few shots and, you know, limit it to maybe 20 or 30 balls and kind of work out a couple things that maybe you weren't happy with. But you want to leave, you know, with all the stuff I've done with you, I mean, you really want to use your mind to try and hit good shots. So when you step up onto a hole that played really hard today for tomorrow, you want to always already feel like you've successfully played that hole. So, you know, at best some light practice. And, and then you really start the preparation for tomorrow. When I played there at Shinnecock, I drew the last key time on Friday. at 3 o'clock. I had something like 10 o'clock, 3 o'clock. It was hard because I had over 24 hours from the time I finished on Thursday to what I had to do on Friday. And it's a lot of time to think about your position, think about what you've done. I shot 73 the first round. which was a decent score. But how do you spend your time? And the, the challenge, for especially like with Dylan, you want to stay at the course. You want to have... I don't know. People see you. You want to be cool and hang out with these guys you've seen on TV. But you know, one of the best things you can do is get away from the golf course. And you know, just the area around Shinnecock is full of little shops and little markets. And you know, there's all kinds of farming area around where they're selling you know fruit and stuff like that. You really need to do something like that and just get away. The you know, even the, the ocean is probably only five minutes from Shinnecock, where you can go north or south of the course and walk on the beach. Little things like that play a much more important role than most people realize because it keeps balance in your life. It keeps, I don't know, perspective going on. And unless you get refreshed and recharged for, say, the round tomorrow or after Friday, you know, all right, I'm in this position. Here's what I really need to do on the weekend. Have a chance to win or finish top ten or something. You know, really should go for that walk on the beach and have a little alone time.
1: And you probably probably should turn your phone off because everybody and their mom's going to be, Texting you, telling you how good you did, or if you did horribly, uh, you know, and you blew it up, they're, they're going to give you, uh, it's okay. You're awesome, you know. So turning your cell phone off, which uh, for some of the younger players is pretty tough to do.
3: And turn social media off. Oh, yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. Turn it off. You know, going into a tournament, I've always told uh, everybody that I'm coaching, wh- whether it's a big mm-hmm. event or a small event, our goal is to tee it up. After twelve noon we, we already know we're going to have one tea time on Thursday or Friday uh, that's going to be after twelve we're going to have one that's going to be probably before twelve and then we want to tee it up on the afternoon uh, on Saturday that definitely on sunday and you had a twenty four hour stretch sometimes, like uh, the athlete you're coaching today uh, he's going to finish late. Uh, the u s open can take six hours to finish, uh, and the crowds are nuts uh, you got to get back to where you 're living uh, he 's going to have a pretty fast turnaround what What time is he teed up uh, uh, friday all uh, right uh, it 's
3: two forty seven later today and something like eight fifty tomorrow, so you know he 's going to have at best maybe twelve hour turnaround or so from from the time, he'll he'll probably finish at 7.30 and, you know, he really needs to be the course tomorrow by 7.30 in the morning. So it's kind of at best about a 12-hour turnaround that you've got to, you know, work out any kinks if you need to, get some food and rest and, you know, maybe get with your trainer and get stretched out a little bit. And then the exhaustion from dealing with the U.S. Open course, get it all fixed and rested and just as renewed tomorrow as he was today.
1: Yeah, staying out of the past in this tournament, you and I have talked about that in every one of our golf schools. You better be efficient mentally because it's a physical test because the rounds can be pretty long. You're holding it together uh, to make par. You're holding it together to not think about the past or the last shot you just hit. That takes a lot of mental energy, and whoever's got the best mental energy... And the last six holes on Sunday, if you're in contention, uh, that's the player that's probably going to walk away with this ter- uh, trophy. Uh, how do you go about helping someone think less? Have you ever had to say, "I, I don't want to go there," "I don't want to talk about it," uh, "Forget it"? Uh, have you ever had to do that with uh, one of your one of your clients?
3: Well. The- I might answer it in a slightly different way. You have to make your students how how much of a commitment can they make coming down the stretch? And by focusing on a commitment to what they're going to do, it takes them away from thinking too much about all the consequences and you know the results are going into the future that your brain might normally go to. So, you know, how committed can you be, you know, especially like your opening tee shot? That's kind of a special shot in the round of golf, is getting off to that right moment, so you know, how committed can you be to a target, your routine, and not getting in your way on the first shot? And then you know, if the tournament and the round plays out, can you stay committed to the strategies you've already laid out, all the visualization work you've done, all the preparation you've done, can you stay committed to that while your brain's screaming at you to get all excited because you might win or you might finish here or think about some of the extraneous things that you know really aren't in big picture all that important, but your mind sometimes pulls you into believing
1: yeah, I had a I had a golfer uh, at a major, uh, LPGA major, uh, set the course record on the first day of the event. She calls up; and she's absolutely out of her mind. She'd never won a tournament, much less a major, and and I hung up on her. And she calls back and goes, "Oh, we got disconnected." I said, "No, <laughs> I hung up." I go. We're not there to set the course record. I'm glad you did. That's awesome. Get back in the trench. Turn your brain off. Get your routines. Everything's fine. Uh, the media plays a, a major factor on a lot of people's minds, especially if you're leading the tournament. D- Dylan is leading this tournament after day one. Everybody and their moms want to interview him once a piece. And, uh, that's not easy for a, play, a person, even if it's a veteran, uh, that's not easy to handle. The media can only talk about what happened and what's going to happen. The media, if you allow them, uh, can take you out of the zone. Uh, have you had to have discussions on, uh, with any, any of your players on the press conference that's mandatory after the, the event?
3: Uh, absolutely, um, you, you hit it nail in the head. That all the press wants to know is a) what happened in the past, meaning like what well, how did you birdie this hole, or b) what what do you think about winning tomorrow or winning the next day? And you know it, it, it's terrible because you played golf in the zone, and now the media basically is trying to take away that ability to get in the zone. So you know Tiger's really perfected this over the years that he kind of says nothing, even though he's talking. And that's really what each student goal with the media is, is to, you know, be polite and answer questions, but don't really think about what they're asking you. Just kind of give kind of a bland answer because if you're not careful, they, the media can pull you out of the zone that you just spent, you know, one round or three rounds building yourself into.
1: Oh, yeah. I, I, I see that in every sport. and uh, uh, But for someone new, um, if they've never done it. They've never been in a major uh, uh, press conference where you're the star uh, it's pretty heady stuff, and uh, it's pretty easy to get out of the zone. Brian, you, you've you had the greatest career as an instructor. You've coached so many great uh, golfers. Uh, tell me a little bit about your academies, uh, what's going on in your life, and, and if somebody wanted a golf lesson, uh, they're probably, you, you know, it, it, hopefully if they mention the Jim Fannin show you'll cut them some slack and maybe let, let, <laughs> let put them on your waiting list I know you have one but uh, also I, w- I want to know how we can get a hold of you but tell me a little bit about your golf academies and uh, uh, what you're doing where you're based and all of that
3: well one of the fun things for me has been, has been doing this for 26 years now and over the years made friends in a lot of places and it's allowed opportunities to come up multiple locations around the world so i've got five academies i'm based in orlando at the waldorf astoria golf club and that's kind of the main one where i'm at you know i don't know two-thirds three-fourths of the year but i'm originally from the seattle area so uh i was out of chambers bay last weekend and we did our golf schools out there that's kind of one of them i'm up in toronto quite a bit uh, got a really cool academy up there i've also got one in honolulu and another one in Seoul, Korea, which is Limo Virginia Academy, where the kids kind of go back and forth between the states and, and Seoul. Those are kind of the five places I'm at all the time. We do a lot of kind of additional golf schools, and that includes me and you, Jim, doing you know, golf in the zone schools. Those are awesome. Those are a blast to do. We do those around the country. But, um, you know, our website's mogacademy.com, m-o-g-g-academy.com, uh, phone number's 407 654 you know golfers golfers need to get better they need to be simpler they need to uh, allow their mechanics to become more basic that's something i'm frustrated with within the whole industry is that it seems like golf instruction is becoming more complicated more technical more detailed and there's certainly a need to be more uh more accurate with information but i just hate seeing golfers get their heads full of just too much information they can't even swing in a, in a natural way or in their best individual way
1: that's just everyday golf. Now, now you throw in uh, uh, the club championship or a big pro am uh, uh, that you want to do well in, and you know you throw in the U.S. Open. Uh, that can definitely get in the way. Brian, give us uh, that website one more time, and, and give us your phone number one more time.
3: Uh, www.mogacademy.com and
1: the number is 407-654-7740. Brian, you're one of the best in the world, uh, in, in my uh, uh, opinion. You're at the top. You're at the apex. I'm glad you're going to Shinnecock again. Uh, it's going to be crazy. Uh, I'm glad you're there at Shinnecock, rather. And, and um, uh, I, I'm I'm excited to see how you, uh, your player does. And I look forward to talking to you from the U.S. Open. Thanks a lot for being on the on the Jim Pannon Show. As always, Holiday. you're in the zone.
3: Get in the zone. You're the best.
1: Brian Mogg. I love Brian Mogg. He's awesome. Uh, what a great golf instructor. But uh, more than the mechanics, you know, Brian really... Gets it as a player from a player's perspective. So his client really is fortunate to have Brian there at Shinnecock with him and uh, getting prepared for an event like this. And
2: I love when, uh, you know, just kind of the theme of the episode runs right through the interview because, you know, we're really talking about, you know, preparing for a big event, getting to the basics. And he even said the same thing about professional golf it's getting too complicated. We got to get to the basics to win.
1: Yeah, the zone is all about less is more. And what everyone needs to realize about the zone, this is a purposeful, calm feeling that you'll have when you're in it, that nothing can go wrong. It is physical. It is not just mental. Your eyes can double, triple shutter speed. It'll give you the illusion that the cup, instead of two and a half times the size of a golf ball, it's six times the size of a golf ball. Um and so it slows things down. Uh, you have more strength, more endurance, more balance. Uh, physically, you're at your absolute best. And, um, and you just kind of love it. it it's, a, it's a feeling that's contagious. So a team can get into a zone uh, typically triggered by one person or more on, uh, on the team. that gets the whole team in the zone. The other thing that I, I love about the zone, the crowd, the crowd can get you in the zone. They can take you out of the zone as well. You know, if they start booing you. Uh, but for some people, that uh, that can inspire you. Being booed on uh, on a visiting court, uh, your arch rival, uh, that gets some athletes locked into a zone state so uh, the zone's very fragile when you're aware of being in it you're not in it any longer it's going to be fun to see who's going to be in the zone at the U.S. Open at Shinnecock in Southampton New York and uh, Brian will have uh, eyewitness there
2: and you know when we first started the Jim Fannin show we talked about checking out who's in the zone every week and I kind of remember thinking like oh but what if what if nobody's in the zone for a week? Uh, <laughs> there are always going to be top performers. And uh, as we head into summer here, this has been a particularly notable week for uh, just some fantastic key performances that we can learn from. Uh, where, where you, which sport do you even want to start on this I week?
1: I want to talk about uh, Rafael Nadal. Uh, to win 11 French Opens if you don't play tennis, that that's like, Winning 11 World Series. That's like winning I, I, 11 Masters. Uh, it, if someone said, can anyone win 11 French Opens? And they'd ask asked me that in 1970 when I was out. I'd say, what? Are you kidding me? I think Borg won seven, which I thought was amazing. Uh, Chris Everts won quite a few. Uh, but to win 11... Um, it is the hardest tennis tournament in the world. Uh, Nadal wins 6-4, 6-3, 6-2 over Dominic Team. Uh, you're in the zone. Uh, I've been with a player that's won it. I've been with a player that's been a runner-up. Uh, it's difficult. Seven matches, two weeks, best of five. No Ty Baker in the fifth and deciding set. Slow red clay Uh, You better, and it's the end of a clay court season. Uh, You better have endurance. You better have great physical presence. And uh, you also probably need just a little bit of good fortune. Uh, Rafa Nadal, you're in the zone. Justify. Wow. Can a horse get in the zone? I've coached uh, a lot of equestrians I've noticed when the horse has his best jumps, I'm not talking about the rider. Now, I was coaching the riders, but when I've seen a rider get into a zone, I've noticed that the rider not only had their jaw unhinged, but when we had still photos of them at the top of the jump over one of the rails, not only did the rider have their jaw unhinged, but the horse had his jaw unhinged. And you cannot be in the zone without your jaw unhinged. That's why Steph Curry arguably was in the zone for this uh, NBA playoffs, uh, except for one game. But the final game, 37 points, definitely in the zone. And he had nine three-pointers, which is pretty amazing. Uh, Set the record, uh, broke Ray Allen's record for most three-pointers in a final. If you watch Steph Curry... He's always playing with his mouthpiece. He's in the zone. Also, shout out to Kevin Durant. 37 points in game three. This guy is just dominant. You forget. First of all, you forget uh, Steph Curry looks like he's five feet tall out on the court. You know, he's 6'3", Seth. Yeah. Steph Curry is 6'3". So he's taller than me. and Not as tall as you, Seth. But he's taller than me. And he looks... So little on the court. Then you've got Kevin Durant in the zone, handling the ball like a point guard, seven feet, pretty amazing uh, MVP in the zone. Golden State Warriors, total sweep of the Cavaliers. Coulda, shoulda, coulda, coulda, shoulda, woulda won the first game. LeBron James, even though he had a pretty amazing performance in the first game, so upset, so upset, uh, 3.5 seconds left in the game. Hill misses the free throw that give them a one-point lead with 3.5 seconds to left. Jr. Smith grabs the rebound, could have called a timeout, could have put the ball right back up for a basket to win the game, and he dribbles out. Uh, away from the basket, dribbles out of time. They lose in, uh, by 10 points in overtime. LeBron almost breaks his hand over a, uh, a blackboard. A blackboard. Uh, and that really, even though you wouldn't know it, uh, in the final game, game four, he did not take a lot of three-point shots. If you go back and look at that film, and now we know why, uh, he injured the right hand uh, by hitting a blackboard in game one. Pretty uncharacteristic of, uh, of uh, Mr. the King, if you will.
2: Yeah, also, just to throw one more stat at you, uh, Durant is now the third highest scoring player in NBA Finals history uh, after Rick Barry and uh, a guy named Michael Jordan. So uh, that's, that's pretty solid. For uh, He averaged 32.6 points per game for this series.
1: We got to give a shout out also to the Nationals. The Washington Nationals won their first Stanley Cup. Pretty impressive. Um,
2: and I, I did want to ask you a question about this one because you know people who don't watch hockey um, hardly at all. You know, around the nation, there was just kind of this hysteria of the Las Vegas Golden Knights didn't exist last year, and this year they're in the Stanley Cup Finals, and yet the uh, the Washington Capitals pulled this thing out.
1: Excuse me, I think I said Nationals. Yeah. I was talking baseball. The capital—I meant the Capitals. The Capitals,
2: yeah. The um, the momentum going against the Capitals. You got kind of fans around, uh, you know, around the country that are just very into the the novelty, the story of this expansion team, almost doing it. Uh, what's your take on when you know a, a player, a team, a company seems to have all that momentum going against them? How do you really get back into the zone and rally there?
1: Well, I think that helps. Really? <laughs> I really do. I, I think all the attention uh, was to the Golden Knights, uh, even though uh, the Cap- Well, the Capitals had not won a Stanley Cup. Uh, you can hide in a crowd when all the attention goes to the other team. That means the media go to the other team, uh, social media off the chain on the, with the other team. Uh, I I think that can definitely help. I've said this to so many athletes. You need to learn how to hide in a crowd. There's a lot going on. Uh, Brian Mogg gave some great advice. Go walk on the beach. Go go shop in a market Uh, during the U.S. Open. How do you get away? I think it's mandatory that you learn how to turn your brain off Do your best to have normal routines for dinner and um, get the same amount of rest that you always get. So I think when the attention's on the other team and uh, all kinds of things are happening, I I think it lets you hide in the crowd a little bit easier.
2: And you know what Brian said about, uh, you know, Tiger Woods does a pretty good job of, of, you know, you talk about going into a positive coma when you travel, uh, that Tiger has kind of mastered that in the press conference where he just, you know, he has to say something but he doesn't let the media dictate where his, where his mind's going. He just kind of gives them something.
1: Yeah. A little, uh, few sound bites. Thank you very much. Let's go
2: ahead and uh, move, move over to baseball here for in the zone. Uh, and Jim, you've coached a lot of baseball players. Would you say that baseball players are up there as far as professional athletes on getting uh, fixated on something or getting superstitious or getting upset that their routine is busted all that stuff.
1: Oh my goodness. Um, it's probably the most superstition of any of the sports that I've coached. And I've coached 10 professional sports, baseball. Uh, I mean, I've seen it all. Uh, in fact, I had one athlete not have milk at his traditional IHOP breakfast when he was at you know at home. IHOP had no milk one morning, and it set him on a 14-day slump and I have no clue that I have, IHOP had no milk. So he goes into IHOP. He, he's going to eat the same thing that he's eaten every single homestand. Every single home came. He went to the same place, the same time, had the same food. IHOP has no milk. And, and I don't know this. So he goes O for 4 and then O for 4 and then O for 5. And I'm doing everything I can to help him get back into his zone state. Finally, after 14 days, I go, what is the difference in what transpired 14 days ago? And right now, and he confessed, IHOP had no milk. And I'm like, seriously, IHOP had no milk. (laughs) So that was a superstition. So I I love routines because they give you confidence and you can pick them up and move them to venue to venue, circumstance to circumstance. But when your routines turn into superstitions, I, I think you're going to have a challenge.
2: Which is why I think that, uh, you know, what's going on with uh, Andrew uh, Benintendi of the Boston Red Sox is, is so exceptional. Uh, fantastic rookie year last year. And of course, right now, Boston Red Sox are the best team in baseball. And he's really struggled the first uh, month or so of the season. And I... I as soon as I read this story, I thought about you reminding everyone to starve the victim and the judge because it's very easy, I think, to whatever your you know your challenge is like this to think, oh well, man, I just I don't have it anymore. I was just like I'm just like born to lose this season, or there's just something wrong beyond my control. And you got to shut up all that stuff. And what actually uh, was going on was he opened up his stance a little bit, he dropped his hands a bit, and he went from hitting 243. Which is not, you know, it's not terrible, but it's not a, a great player stat. Uh, to for the last twenty three games, he's been hitting three seventy eight. Massive, massive improvement. Of course, you know, he changed his physical stance, but he also had to be mentally able to not go, okay, there, there's, you know, I, I'm just born to lose on this season.
1: Well, you know, a, a watched uh, pot never boils, so if you keep looking at your batting average every day. Uh, you're going to have a challenge. Uh, I think you have a lot of time in baseball, a lot of time. Uh, and, and the idle, uh, idle hands, idle mind, I mean, it, it, a lot can go through your mind. Uh, but you've got Alex Corr as your manager. you got J.D. Martinez on that team who's got a lot of great routines. He's having a solid all-star uh, season. Uh, I, I think uh, he can hide a little bit in a crowd, even with his two forty three batting average. Uh, he's got other players, they're winning, uh, but to turn it around, sometimes it's just a little tweak here, a little tweak there. Sometimes it's a song that you had in your mind on your way to the ballpark, and that song just gave you rhythm, and that night, you know, you go four for four. Uh, The good thing about being a hitter, uh, you've got the next day four more at-bats, but but there is a lot of time on your hand. So it's good to see him in the zone. I want to talk about, speaking of baseball, how about the Padres fan? Female catches a foul ball into her beer. (laughs) I mean, Seth, it goes right into her beer. She's on television Uh, Put this on YouTube if you haven't seen it. Uh, She looks around. She looks a little perplexed. Uh, She's having a good time. And what does she do? She chugs the beer with the ball in the cup. (laughs) You're in the zone. I would be remiss if I didn't mention Simona Halep, who won the French Open. Also beat uh, America's Sloan Stevens, 3-6, 6-4, 6-1. Number one in the world. Congratulations, your first major tournament, uh, so congratulations, uh, Simona Hallop. You're in the zone. That is, I, I got to give shout out to the to the women here.
2: Quite the uh, quite the first tournament to you know to get to raise the trophy for. Let's do a little positive news. We are America's most positive podcast, and I think about this every week, right? That one of the things that I've realized, kind of by by hanging out with this guy, you know, here Jim Fannin, you really have a lot more opportunities to influence people positively around you uh, than you realize. And part of that is just, you know, you got to know what's going on in the world, but not just totally diving into the negativity and the downs. uh, And instead, you know, also balancing out current events with, there are a lot of really good current events that are not reported because they don't get the kind of clicks that uh, negativity gets.
1: That is the truth. Uh, Negatives travel 20 to 1 times faster than a positive Um, that's an amazing stat. Um, you know, as humans, we, we will pass a negative on somebody gives you negative news, talks negative about a neighbor. The, here goes, the gossip, the rumor, the hearsay pass on that negativity. Uh, we do it all the time. We stop and watch a car accident on the side of the road. And why is traffic backed up? We're watching something that happened negative. Um, I, I I don't know. I, I think it's something that, as a society, we can change this. We need to talk more about the positive things. There's so many positive elements, so many young kids that I'm meeting that are doing some really amazing things that, that uh, really don't have hopelessness. They have hope. And... Uh, I, I'm excited for us. Uh, but the news, it, it really can cover up so many things uh, that's happening in a positive way.
2: And of course, sometimes when those younger kids are doing amazing things, they get tickets. This is crazy to me. Uh, so Country Tie and Lemonade, which is a pretty iconic American brand, uh, has actually set up a legal fund for the young kids who are out there kind of experimenting with entrepreneurship. I mean, this is a classic childhood thing, right?
1: I sold lemonade. Doing a
2: lemonade stand. Come on. Well, you know what? If you were selling lemonade in 2018, you might get a ticket from your city. And so country time is now as, you know, this is popping up on social media. It's popping up in the news. This is happening. I, I don't know how you can bring yourself to write a seven-year-old a ticket. I really don't.
1: Well, country time, lemonade, you're in the zone. Yes. I but- love that. We need to help our young entrepreneurs.
2: <laughs> we thank you for, uh, you know, for covering their legal fees. And if this is happening in your own. Uh, but, but
1: didn't they put down like a half a mil?
2: They put down a half a mil because wow. apparently this has happened so much. The other The other in the zone moment is. If you live in a town that's fining, you know, five year olds for making lemonade, I, I would make sure that you v- make your voice heard at, at, at town hall, because if we need a half a million dollars to protect our elementary sk- school kids from a basic childhood tradition, G-mini.
1: Uh Yeah, come on, uh, city officials, get your act together. <laughs> and
2: nobody loves uh, the uh, C-A-V-I-T-Y. I did it. Nobody loves the word cavity, right? When you go to the, the dentist, you're like, oh no, now I got to come back in. Now I got to get drilled. This is, uh, this is not fun. I got to keep, you know.
1: No one likes going to the dentist. I, you know, I've coached a lot of dental groups, and uh, uh, there's a lot of stress going to the dentist, and uh, it's definitely stressful. But well, we have good news. We
2: do have good news. So there's some uh, new research that's being done in London. One of the things we haven't figured out is, uh, you know, we, you got to get your tooth filled because you can't regrow the enamel, right? It, it's not like your skin. I mean, if you get uh, if, if you get a little cut, you don't have to go to the emergency room and get your cut filled in normally if it's minor. You just, you know, just put a Band-Aid on it. It heals itself up. There is a research group in London right now that's looking at regrowing enamel uh, which would basically mean the end of uh, you know of those painful cavities, root canals. Uh, you know this is this is still in uh, in development, but this is looking uh, like this could become a thing, and that is some fantastic news.
1: That's awesome. I I wonder who's going to figure out how to make money on that. Uh, obviously, <laughs> obviously the dental association growing enamel. That, that's going to be interesting, but that's good news. You know, yes. there's so many researchers around the world that are looking for solutions that never get the kudos never get the zone treatment so uh congratulations researchers
2: and finally we gotta we gotta look a little north of our studios here in chicago to uh the green bay area uh aaron jones of uh the green bay packers was uh snapped by a couple bystanders helping an elderly woman who was having trouble getting through the airport and really didn't want any um attention over it the problem is is that when you're uh you're an NFL player, and particularly when you're in Green Bay, which is a pretty small city, and the whole city's obsessed with you. <laughs> exactly. Somebody's going to notice who you are. Uh, so you know, it's just one of those things where we tend to shine the light on you know the athlete that uh, you know wraps their uh, Ferrari around a tree and then yells at the police about it. Uh, and those are few and far between. And you have so many pro athletes doing so much good, have so many you know foundations out there. They're financially generous. They're working with kids in the off season. Uh, and uh, those usually don't get if they, they kind of get that last 30 seconds of the newscast. Right. So love having the opportunity to, uh, to to shine a light on on one of the many, many opportunities like that.
1: Well, that's a zone moment. And um, there's good people. There are kind people. There are generous people. There's a lot of Zoniacs and uh, they're listening right now. And go out and influence other people. Good deeds, good neighbor. Cut the grass of your elderly neighbor. Uh, help someone with a bag of groceries. Open the car door for people. I mean, I'm still open the door uh, for females. I, I was trained to do that by my mother. I realized I'm doing it to honor my mother. The young girls go through the other door. I had a girl the other i opened the door she went through the other door and i said i i did this to honor my mom get back here and she she actually came back and went through the door while i kept holding it open and she started laughing she goes i'm sorry i wasn't focused i'm sorry
2: you know and if i can tie uh that to, to the whole theme of this episode here if you got something big coming up and you need to get your uh your mind off of that crucial meeting that crucial tournament uh, that crucial moment that's going to make a huge difference in your sport or your career or your family man taking an hour taking a half hour to, to help out your actual neighbor what's better than that great shot of uh, positivity through your bloodstream you got positive hormones you know cycling through your system uh, and uh, and when you're doing that you don't have time to have anxiety and negative thoughts going on because uh, you're enjoying helping somebody
1: with that said, I, I want to talk about something that it, it is a little bit of a downer. It's unusual for the Jim Fannin show, but we did have a few tragedies. Anthony Bourdain, uh, Bourdain, yeah, uh, committing suicide. Kate Spade, uh, another celebrity, committed suicide, age fifty five. Um, one hundred and twenty one Americans commit suicide every day, and um, how does this happen? Uh, This question has been asked quite a bit, and every time uh, it's brought to the forefront of a national and international attention, uh, people are asking that question. How can this happen? I do know this. Times can be very tough. Times can be very challenging. And the opposite of the zone we call the downs, and that's a mild or severe depression. How does that happen? How do you go from a peak performance zone performance to get into the downs where you start wallowing in uh, all kinds of negativity? And it's an attitudinal quicksand that on the Jim Fannin show, obviously we want to stay away from. But if you're changing sleep habits, if you're spending more time in the past, if you're replaying negativity over and over again. If you're using your imagination in a negative way, projecting future events that may not be in your favor, and if you feel that things are really crowding in on you, and uh, these thoughts are causing you to be tense, anxious, irritable, uh, you probably need to talk to someone, and uh, hopefully you've got family, you've got friends. Negative feelings left unexpressed will eventually turn into negative actions. Negative feelings left unexpressed will eventually turn into negative actions. And there's a hotline, 1-800-273-8255, 1-800-273-8255. It is a national uh, suicide hotline. Uh, If you have any thoughts uh, along those lines, uh, reach out to someone and uh, definitely reach out to this hotline. And um, it's a time where, Seth, I want everyone to realize that you're an integral part of something greater than yourself. and that is the human race. And that there's so many people that I meet that are so positive. And be around as many positive people as possible. Help turn negative people into positive people. What a great influencer you can become. But it starts in the mirror. It starts with you. And think about what you think about. You know, if we could do a printout of your thoughts right now, I'm sure you would not want to necessarily share those thoughts. And, Seth, hopefully you wouldn't be arrested with those thoughts. But, <laughs> but yeah. if, you, if you do ha- have the ability to take some time, if you do take the time and think about what you think about, do a little mental inventory, um, make sure that you're in the present and that you only go into the future for planning, strategy and tactics and you only go into the past for have a good laugh with an old friend or to have swift analysis um or evaluation otherwise stay out of the past be in the moment it's the only place to be and of course that's where the zone resides seth do we have anything on our mailbag
2: yeah uh this one was a you know wanted some kind of personal details left out. So I just said, Hey Jim, I love the show on reinvention. I know I need a reinvention in my life. What is the biggest challenge to getting started on a reinvention when it can feel so overwhelming?
1: I, I think the biggest challenge. And then when I say this, you're going to see that it might be simple. What is your passion? What do you love? Who do you love? What do you love to do? Uh, what do you love to eat? Where do you love to go? Where do you love to be to relax? Where do you love to be with other people? What physically do you love to do? What challenges do you love? You know, somebody asked me, I'm. I'm, I'm my mother asked me, why aren't you laughing and Pro tennis, I've mentioned this before on the air. I say, Mom, I love the challenge, but it's a challenge. Someone's trying to take my money and knock me out of the tournament. And, and so I'm not always laughing and uh, uh, on the tennis court when I played. But find out what your passion is and expound on that. You may find that part of your reinvention is creating a business around that passion, Uh, finding a job where that passion can be kindled and uh, ignited even to a higher level. I I think finding your passion uh, is really one of the keys uh, to living a simple, balanced, uh, successful life. And and it's also part of being your genuine, authentic best self. Um, I love to coach. I love to help people be their genuine, authentic best self. And I've been blessed to make an entire career out of that. I love getting feedback on what other people have done. You know, there's a big sign in our office. It's it's been since 74. Your success is our only mission. And that's really uh, our mission statement. Your success is our only mission. And I love that. Uh, I met a young uh, player, Gage Hughes. So if you're listening, Gage, um, shout out to you. Just got drafted. I met him at Greenup High School, Greenup, Kentucky. I was addressing his uh, high school um, class. In fact, everybody in the school uh, a few weeks back. Just got drafted by the Kansas City Royals. And... Um, He's doing what he loves. This kid loves sports, but he loves to hit baseballs. So uh, kudos to you.
2: All right, Jim, we do have to mention one of my favorite uh, kinds of episodes coming up. You're actually going to be doing a coaching show where this is all live. You have no idea what's coming your way. Last time it was a college athlete and a Grammy-nominated songwriter. Uh, So you never know what's going to kind of get pulled out of the bag here. We've got another coaching show coming up actually next week.
1: No, oh, I'm fired up about that. Bring it. I, I'm, I always like that because that's uh, pretty much what I do every day. Uh, you know, I, I log six, seven thousand uh, cell phone minutes a month and people call me on my clients. So I, I'm really not always sure what I'm going to get when I get a phone call. What kind of challenges uh, are, are on the table?
2: Hey, if you uh you know, you want to join the coaching show, we're not gonna press you for any uh, you know, super personal details if you want to be coached about uh career or sport or a personal situation. We're we're not gonna, you know, hammer on you and say, well, give us all the all the gritty details. We're just gonna let you tell your story and we're gonna see where Jim's, you know, knowledge of thirty years of working with some of the top performers in sports, entertainment, and business take us, and we're gonna tap into his full of gamut of intuition and is one of my very favorite things we do on the Jim Fannin show. You can join in. Of course, that takes a little bit of, a little bit of courage to, to raise your hand, so to speak, and say, hey, me. Uh, but you can do that by shooting us an email at AskJim at JimFannin.com That's F-A-N-N-I-N.
1: Also, use the same uh, email, jim at JimFannin.com. Use the same email uh, with a show idea or maybe a guest that you would like to have on the show, or maybe you would like to be a guest on the show. Maybe you have something to add that you believe uh, our audience would benefit from, and um, who knows? You
2: you may have an amazing story, amazing Zone story, but but we don't know unless you actually tell us. (laughs) Ask Jim at JimFannon.com. Shoot us a message. This uh, this episode coming up is going to be a lot of fun.
1: And to find your score level, you need to go to the Zone Cafe. I've got one more shout-out. May I? Yeah, go for it. Nick Hardy, congratulations, University of Illinois, uh, men's golf, turned pro, uh, finished tied for 33rd in his first event, the Rust-Oleum Championship, shot round of 72-67, 72, final round 70. Shout-out to Nick Hardy. You were in the zone. I left him out. Let's go to the Zone Cafe. This is a place— Where you can pull up in your car, and you need to select one ingredient, one thing that you can order. Now, we have five that we're cooking. We have self-discipline, concentration, optimism, relaxation, and enjoyment. And for the listeners on this show for some time, you know that it's these five intangibles that trigger a whole host of chemicals that attract that zone state. And you are only strong as the weakest link. So pull up. Are you going to order self discipline? Do you want to have a, more of a commitment and willingness to stay with a task, uh, to reach your goals, to take you to a vision? Do you need that blueprint? Well, if that's what you need, stop right there, take the self discipline and work on it for the next seven days. But maybe, maybe you have a blueprint, but maybe you're extremely talented. Maybe you've got so much talent that you think too much because you can do so much. So maybe you need to order concentration. Just like uh, a horse with blinders. Stay focused on the task at hand, one thing at a time. Focus mental and physical energy on those tasks that lead to the goals that take you to that vision. If that's what you need, Seth, you're cooking up some Slabs of concentration I know you are I'm, I'm
2: ready to give this out Yeah. But
1: but maybe Maybe you've had a seed of doubt or two Maybe you've had a setback Maybe there is a little negativity Bounce around in your brain It happens It happens to all of us So maybe you need some optimism The belief and expectancy That what you're doing is right And that it's going to lead you to your Goals that will be completed And your vision will be attained and if you need a little more optimism, uh big plate of optimism, we're ready to serve that up to you. But maybe you need to relax. Maybe you worry. Maybe you got a little fear, a little trepidation. Maybe you're not sure, and that's caused you to have a little anxiety. So if you're a little low on relaxation, we'd like to fill up your tank. We got a big jug of relaxation that's gonna give you some peace. Some tranquility let's make you gonna go ah yeah, I'm good. my jaw's unhinged and uh, my breathing's down to six to eight breaths. so if that's what you need uh, we've got a big jug of relaxation but maybe maybe you need a little pep in your step. maybe you need some more dopamine flowing through the bloodstream. so Seth, I know you love to cook the happy meal because I know you got a smile on your face when that happens. So if you need some enjoyment in your life and you've been working too hard, trying too hard, um, not having as much fun, no music, no laughter, well, get the Happy Meal. You need some enjoyment and just the awareness of what's low in your score chain, S-C-O-R-E, the awareness of it, Seth, it'll fix that chain that we all have. It makes up our overarching attitude. Uh, that awareness can fix it 90% of the time. What are you ordering, Seth?
2: You know, I'm going to order enjoyment because when you get in kind of the entrepreneurial game, there there's some people that just tell you, oh, you just, you've just you got to never come up for air. You know, if you get tired, what you need is an IV line that you pour Red Bull into. And uh, since meeting you, I, I know that's not going to work. Uh, so sometimes, you know, when, when you start a business, Everything doesn't fit between, you know, nine to five. Sometimes it's, you know, very long days, two or three days in a row, and then you pop up and you go, "Ah, I'm going to intentionally make sure that I have some fun today." And so I'm going enjoyment. I'm I'm right there. What about you? What do you got? The, what do you need this week?
1: Relaxation. Uh, I'm always pretty cool, pretty calm, jaws unhinged, don't get ruffled. Uh, but I've had a lot on my plate. And I am going to have very soon, hopefully uh, my clients won't realize it, but I I have once a month a silent day. I turn my brain off. I completely relax. uh, I text. I might write an email or two. I could do a little bit of writing, uh, but I'm going to speak the least amount. And I know uh, this upcoming week uh, that silent day is going to be in one of those next seven days. Uh, I always surprise my wife, but she gets it after 12 noon. I've, I'm te- <laughs> I have said a word. <laughs> yeah, or I'm texting her. I'm in the same room with her. <laughs> she gives me that look, and I'm like, you know, I, I tell her, it's silent day. But uh, yeah, I'm going to relax a little bit, unplug my brain. And uh, my favorite quote, I've said this, I don't know how many times, was Abraham Lincoln. If I had... Four hours to chop down a tree. I'd spend two hours sharpening my axe. So uh, I'm going to sharpen my axe this week. Little little relaxation.
2: Yeah, and if you uh if you are down to your axe is pretty much just the uh, the empty handle that's smacking up against the tree. That's not you. You better get some <laughs> some relaxation enjoyment going on. That's
1: not a positive. That's not a positive. Seth, I got to tell you something. I'm going to give you a shout out. You have been uh, an awesome uh, sidekick here. Uh, I, I really have seen your transformation, and and I'm glad you're here. You help me get better. Uh, you keep me on my game. Uh, you you have great notes. Uh, you line up great guests. So uh, thank you, and uh, stay in the zone.
2: I hey, I appreciate that, my friend. There's, you know, you and I both have a lot of love for this process, and you know, and the people listening, and knowing. Uh, that not, uh, We enjoy doing this, but uh, I, alongside you, really love knowing that this thing gets out all over the world every week and that people are making better choices because of it. That's thrilling.
1: And my last thing uh, to everyone listening, share the wealth. If you have a positive nugget, you pick up something positive, you read something positive on the Internet, share it with us uh, here at the Jim Fannin Show, but share it with your friends. We need to flip the script on 20 negatives to one, 20 to one, a negative goes around the world, 20 to one versus a positive. We need to take the positives in our life and share them and influence as many people as positive. We have one life, and we know it can be fleeting. Why not choose a life of extreme positivity? What does that mean? That means get rid of the gossip. Get rid of the rumor passing. And if somebody gossips to you, I I hold them up. I'm sorry. It's going to end here. I'm not going to pass it on. Uh, No gossip, no rumors, no negativity. And I actually just don't go there. And that's one of the wishes, if I could have a wish, is uh, everyone listening, stay positive positive. Stay in the zone and pass it forward to anybody and everybody. Be in the zone because it's the only place to be. Until next week, I'm Jim Fannin.
2: My name is Seth, Jim's uh, sidekick and producer. Thank you so much for joining us. Stay in the zone. This is a leveling the playing field quick fix on Radio Influence.
0: Nefertiti Walker is the director of diversity and inclusion for the Eisenberg School of Management and assistant professor for the McCormick Department of Sport Management at UMass, my alma mater. I don't think most people take the time to really consider the decisions they're making and why they're making them, right? Because most of us are having to make so many small decisions throughout the day that they become kind of unimportant to us, but quite impactful for a lot of people in their lives. So I I think one is having that time, like you said, to reflect on the decisions you're making and the things that you're doing and why you're doing them um, and making sure you're not leaving folks out because they're not in your network. A lot of people in the sport industry are not very aware of. They assume that if someone's not in their network, then either that person hasn't put in the work to get to know them or put in the work to get in their network. But, you know, More often than not, is the fact that our individual networks are completely biased with people that look, act, and believe exactly the way we do.
2: Leveling the playing field with Bobby Sue Doyle Hazard can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher,
0: TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com.